I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Show. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo's Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is March 26th, 2000. That's right. We have crossed into a new millennium at the Shrine Auditorium for the 72nd Annual Academy Awards honoring the best movies of 1999. And it is time for the big award of the night, the envelope, please. The Oscar goes to American Beauty. Welcome back to another episode of The Envelope, Please, the podcast where we watch and discuss every Best Picture Oscar winner in chronological order. And we're your hosts. I'm Sam. I'm Rance. Welcome back. I've missed you, Rance. Oh my gosh, it's been it's been days, Sam. <laughs> it's been days. hours. <laughs> Sam, uh, just so you guys know, when this episode airs, we will be just a couple days out of Sam's birthday. That's so true! Yes, it's very true. I'll be turning 31 so shortly. I'm almost catching up to you, Rance. I'm so close. That's right. And yet, every time you catch up to me, like, four or five months later, I get a year farther ahead. Um, <laughs> um, and Sam, uh, Sam and I, uh, next weekend, are going to celebrate his birthday by going to see if anybody paid attention to our 50th anniversary rankings it was i believe both of our number one best picture winner of all time all about eve the one the only i'm so excited i've never been to the new bev i'm really excited to see it and i've never seen that movie on the big screen so i'm really curious like how exciting i know i actually haven't seen that much betty davis on the big screen which is a real sad thing considering what i what i love and hold dear but oh my gosh we'll be seeing it on film Oh, thank goodness. So. I have to tell you, I did rewatch Jezebel the other night. Yeah. <laughs> it's been it's been like a, a hot minute actually, because we talked about that movie, I mean I mean truly years ago now. Yeah, two years ago, yeah. Um <laughs> Wow, and I, I didn't I didn't watch it for that episode. I'd watched it years ago back when I was in high school. Yeah. What an interesting movie. I fully did not quite remember the ending being quite like that. I thought there was more of a um of a wrap up. But it really just ends with her going off to the leper community and dying. <laughs> like, oh and, yeah. And might I say, <laughs> the the last shot of Betty Davis, which is an extended close up on her face, with just like as they travel to the leper colony and there's like fire in her eyes, it is it is a thing of of beauty. <laughs> it is. It is. What a weird movie, though. What it's a weird, a weird movie. movie. But I, I totally could come out in 1938. Great in it. She is she's great, great in, it. in it. She really All is. About Eve is her probably her best performance, and so Crown I'm excited to see that one. Jewel. Me too. Um, but we're here in the uh, 1999 Academy Awards. Yes. So tell me, you said our host was Billy Crystal. I'm sure it was a delightful ceremony. You know, Billy Crystal is is our is our standby at this point, and it is as always a delight to have him there um for our y2k we got through um the great crisis i don't know if you remember the drama surrounding turning from 99 to 2000 but everyone was concerned all the computers were going to crash and ended up not being a big deal at all not at all (laughs) literally not at all but he did his traditional opening number where 
he um, sang uh, all of the Best Picture uh, nominees to uh, the tune of uh, different songs. You know, he always says his medley. So Green Mile was Green Acres, the theme song. <laughs> um, the Sixth Sense was People, <laughs> which I believe it's People Who See Dead People or something like that. That's pretty cool. Um, he, he did the Minute Waltz for The Insider. Um, he did Mame for The Cider House Rules and <laughs> um, uh, Lady and the Tramp for uh, American Beauty. Um the lady is a tramp, excuse me. The, the lady, lady is, is a tramp. tramp. There it yes, is. Yes. Um <laughs> uh this is a very musical night. We got a lot of um a lot of uh really interesting uh moments. Of course they sing all of the nominated songs, um, which I believe the winner this year is uh none other than Tarzan, Tarzan. You'll be in my heart. Written and uh, written and sang by my cousin Phil. Um, <laughs> don't know why he never calls, but you know whatever. <laughs> He's got my number. <laughs> but I think the highlight is when um, yeah, Robin Williams does the Blame Canada song from South Park, which is fun. Blame Canada, blame Canada. But um, um, I think the highlight is probably when Gloria Estefan and In Sync sing "Music of the." Of my heart from music of the heart. And your love is the music of my heart. Music of my heart. Music of my heart. Is the music of my heart. <laughs> Which was Meryl Streep's. I don't know, hundredth Oscar nomination. What is it? Wait, wait. This is eleventh Oscar nomination. At this point. I know we're in double digits uh, yes. by now. I believe yes, it's her eleventh. This is her eleventh, and she'll tie uh, Kate in just a couple years with the twelfth. A couple years. Um, yes. Yeah, so Kate uh, Kate Hepburn is barely ha- hanging on to her her record at this moment. Um, we also had a kaleidoscope of famous people: uh, Garth Brooks, Faith Hill, Ray Charles, Queen Latifah, Isaac Hayes, Burt Bach- Burke. Woo! Bert ba- <laughs> <laughs> This is a tough one. This one's tough. <laughs> Bacharach. That's right, right? Bert Bacharach. Bacharach. Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember if it was Bacharach or Bacharach. I'm so sorry, Bert. <laughs> um, and Dion Warwick, um, who is now a legend on Twitter, if you don't follow her. Um, uh, they sang a, uh, a medley of songs from movies, including... Everybody's talking from Midnight Cowboy and Over the Rainbow from Wizard of Oz, Secret Love from Calamity Jane, Man It Got Away from A Star Is Born, When You Wish Upon a Star, uh, The Way We Were, Theme from Shaft, all the all the hits. Um, so it was a very musical Oscars, which makes sense. It kind of makes it more of a show. You know, this is the celebration of show business, so it does make sense to have quite a few performances. And I know, like in recent years, they've really gone away from performing all the nominated songs, at least in their entirety, because mm-hmm. they're trying so hard to trim the show down. But to yeah. me, it's like, you know, we we could benefit from having more of this, you know, song and dance show business aspect to it again. Makes it fun. Well, I mean, you think about the most memorable Oscars, you know. Um, uh, I, I don't think it was during 
the interview, but you guys will find, uh, you guys uh, heard us talk to Dan Jinks last week. Um, we, we talked with him a little bit further afterwards, and he mentioned that his favorite year was the Hugh Jackman um, hosted year, which was a very musical heavy year. I think people enjoy, um, they enjoy musical performances, obviously. Um, think about the TV shows that get the highest ratings on T it's always the competition shows. People love that kind of thing. Um, and I, I think that, you know, I saw this great op-ed that was like, let the Oscars be the Oscars. And the reason why you and I have a podcast about this is because we, we love the Oscars as the Oscars is we're the target audience, you know, and by target audience, that means two two gay guys in their 30s but anyway <laughs> <laughs> we are who they're doing it for <laughs> anyway oh. but yes this is the type of ceremony i really get on board with because i love i love all the stars i love all the musical performances this is a good year this is a good year really really good year so let's get into some snubs let's talk about some of the movies or performances they left off i'll start with a couple of big ones to me the biggest glaring omission here is in the best picture category get rid of cider house rules bring in the matrix yeah the matrix should be up for best picture and also in my opinion i think Lawrence fishburne deserved a supporting actor nomination uh for playing morpheus i think just obvious that you know the matrix is now one of the most iconic cult films of all time kind of reinvented this whole sci-fi movie mind-bending film and did it in such a genius way um, and the acting in it is phenomenal normally when you have like a heavy sci-fi film especially ones that we you know we've talked about the acting kind of becomes sort of second or third tier right to the the grand effects going on but the matrix has brilliant performances throughout I think Lawrence Fishburne is the peak of that, and I would have loved to have seen him in the supporting actor category. Yeah. What do you have? What are some of your snubs? You know, this is such a, a great year. There's so many interesting movies that came out this year. Um, and, I mean, a lot of them probably are not uh, on the level of Sixth Sense or Insider or American Beauty. Um, but, uh, you know, you think about... Um, you think about how this is the year that we got what, in my opinion, is the best spoof parody movie of recent times. In recent times, I mean last 25 years. Um, <laughs> Galaxy Quest, which is oh. such such a great little treat of a movie. And I love it. I, I mean, like, occasionally you get a comedy like Bridesmaids, which works its way into the screenplay category. You know... I, um, never give up, never surrender. I would have loved to have seen something like that. That's obviously a little bit of a pipe dream when you're talking about the Oscars. But this is a year where I really feel like we are missing that animated film category. But this is um, this is also a year where we have like the zenith of a lot of the teen movies. You get 10 Things I Hate About You, which is like a great, great little teen movie. Um but, and you get also something that kind of revolutionized independent cinema, um, and people debate about it to this day, and that's, uh, of course, the Blair Witch Project, which is like a whole other situation <laughs> that Correct. you may have opinions about. Um, obviously shouldn't be in the best picture category, but it's just interesting to note these things because 1999 is such a stacked year. 
But, you know, speaking of somebody's recent death, um, who never, ever, didn't make a lot of movies, but never got an Oscar nomination, I would have loved to have seen a supporting actress nomination for Betty White and Lake Placid. If I had a dick, this is where I'd tell you to suck it. Lake Placid, he says. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, she feeds those hip hippos hippos right not crocodiles hippos like plastic hippos yes she feeds the hell out of those hippos <laughs> holy shit i haven't thought about lake placid since we used to rent that movie from my hometown's grocery store for some odd reason they cared and we were always like let's get lake placid and scare the shit out of ourselves we would just laugh can you imagine if we had just mounted an oscar campaign for her to be nominated <laughs> for lake placid okay actually i think the best movie that is not well represented of this year and what i think is actually i saw it again at the Nubev uh right before the pandemic uh and it was just it was just really fascinating and beautiful i really like eyes wide shut mm. um yes. it's stanley kubrick's last film um, he was actually not able to finish it. He finished the filming, but he wasn't. He didn't finish the post production because he died. Um, but uh, but I think um, you know her breakout performance is to die for. I think. Um, I mean, dead calm, and then to die for. Um, and I think her next real big moment. And weirdly, even though she's with Tom Cruise in this movie, I think this movie almost starts to separate her from Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nicole Kidman, of course. Uh, yes. The patron saint of moviedom in 20... <laughs> oh, God. 21. Um, <laughs> uh, she... Um, I don't know if she would be considered... She is the leading actress of the film, but it's kind of Tom Cruise-heavy, I feel. So she might have been a better sell at supporting, just because um, he's in, I think, a lot more of the movie. But... Um, but she re- she's really, really good in this. And she gets the chance to play so many levels in this kind of push-pull uh, situation that's happening in this um, uh, crucial moment in this marriage where um, they're going through a whole... I mean, like you have to watch the movie because it's really hard to explain. But, um, but this kind of sexualized um crossroads yeah midlife situation um and and i i just love nicole kidman in general but i think it's a little silly that she didn't get a nomination until the uh, until the hours because until moulin rouge excuse me because this is one of several really good performances that she gives in the 90s so i would like to put up nicole kidman for supporting actress love that Love that. A couple more of mine here. One that I think belongs in the original screenplay category is Richard Curtiz's screenplay for Notting Hill, mm. which is mm. probably my favorite Julia Roberts movie. It's so hard to say that. It does change kind of every few weeks. Not my best But I wedding. love her. Okay. I mean, there are no best friends wedding. Pretty woman. Uh-huh. They're so good. Aaron Brockovich. We'll get to that next year. But... Oh. Oh, but I think Notting Hill has so much charm in it, and it's such a, it's such like a capital M movie. Like it's the ultimate mm-hmm. rom com where Julia Roberts is essentially playing herself, and we love her yes. when she plays herself. We but do. her and Hugh Grant are just so good. I'm very sorry about the surreal but nice comment. Disaster. That's okay. I thought the 
apricot and honey thing was the real low point. But it's even beyond their chemistry. I think the chemistry is actually written on the page. I don't think you could get an actor or an actress to fuck that up. It's so well written and well paced that this movie just works. And I, I would have loved to have seen another rom-com sneak into our screenplay category. We see it happen sometimes, but it does not happen enough. So I would have loved that. This is that. her last... This is Julia Roberts' last rom-com, really. Like rom-com, rom-com, yeah. I guess you could yeah. say like, there's like America's Sweethearts is coming up, but that's kind of more of an ensemble. I don't think that no. is the, It's not the same thing. Um, so this is kind of the end of her, her rom-com reign. And she really, with Aaron Brockovich, moves into um, more serious roles. That she does. That she does. All right, my last mm-hmm. snub, best actor, Bruce Willis, The Sixth Sense. I love his performance in the movie, and it is a difficult performance to pull off. Playing it a is. character who is dead, doesn't know Spoiler! He's dead, oh, my has God. Has to find out. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. It is hard to pull what off. What if somebody watching this has never seen The Sixth Sense? Then I ruined it for them, and I don't even feel bad about it. <laughs> uh, but talking about the sixth sense brings me into kind of what I want to spotlight today. Oh, if you're ready, oh, should we move transition. forward? Let's do it. Let's move forward. It's I want to talk about best supporting actress race this year. Um, okay. It holds a couple of my favorite supporting performances of all time. One of them being Miss Tony Collette in the Sixth Sense, and the other being Chloe Sevigny in Boys Don't Cry. This is a stacked year for supporting actress. I mean, even the other ones, too. Being John Malkovich, Catherine Keener is delightful in that movie. I have not seen Sweet and Lowdown, so I cannot attest to Samantha Morton, but I'm sure she's flawless and wonderful. But I think this is another one of those years where the Oscar really could have gone to any of these ladies. And we have Angelina Jolie sneaking in and taking the Oscar for um, Girl Interrupted. You wanted your file? I found you your file. You wanted out? I got you out. You needed money? I found you some. I'm fucking consistent. I told you the truth. I didn't write it down in a fucking book. I told you to your face. And I told Daisy to her face what everybody knew and wouldn't say, and she killed herself. And I played the fucking villain. Wild to me, right? Good for her. It's a great performance in a movie that is, I mean, very difficult, I think, to watch. Um, she's great. A lot of people think, though, a little bit controversial here, a lot of people think Brittany Murphy deserved the Oscar nomination over Angelina Jolie. <laughs> did you, why did you have to check that name? I think Because her name disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> the name disappeared from my brain. It was, there it went. Um, but I was curious, what do you think of that? Do you like, do you, would you prefer Brittany Murphy over Angelina Jolie? Um, I think retro, it's, it's hard to talk about that because it's difficult to remove the fact that Brittany Murphy dies young, um, from that. So, you know, you obviously want the person who's never going to get a chance again, um, to get that opportunity. But, you know, at the time, same, same situation at the time, you know, this was Angelina's breakout. This is where people started taking her seriously and, uh, she is a a capital M movie star, and I can't say that I don't think someone with the kind of career she's had doesn't earn an Oscar. So, you know, not even thinking of it in terms of performance, just thinking about it in who 
feels like the Oscar winner in the situation. But, you know, it's also, I really like Brittany Murphy. I wish she had had more time on this earth and a a career that befitted, I think, the talent that she had. Mm -hmm. Well said, well said. Uh, Very true. Yeah, no, Angelina Jolie is quite amazing here. She's also a capital M movie star's daughter. So I think that also really helped with her Oscar campaign. I mean, yeah, definitely not now. <laughs> or actually back then either, too. I don't think they were speaking back then either. There was always. So wasn't she married to Billy Bob at this point? So, yeah, this is also that, like, kind of weird Oscar red carpet moment where they, weren't they, like, having, like, they had, like each vials of each blood. other's blood, right, yeah. in vials. And she also, like, kissed her brother after she, a lot of weird stuff was happening around here. She was still going through it. This was but, a very, this is before the transformation yes. um, into humanitarian Angelina. Um, we have the phases of, of, but this is also part of the reason why she is a capital M movie star, because she maintains this larger than life persona that has all these shades of weird, I mean, like, you know, I don't know if we've had uh, a star like that come along, um, in quite a while. Somebody who we're fascinated by in that way. Is he clawing the paint off your wall? It's she is clawing she. the inside of my curtains, which have been ruined already. Um, so anyway, <laughs> uh, anyway, no. But I think this is a really fun category to spotlight here because for me, Angelina Jolie is my number three. I would place Chloe Sevigny above that, and then Tony Collette, who is my all-time winner here. I think this is where Tony Collette deserved her Oscar. Especially for a horror film. And this is what I wanted to talk about. The fact that The Sixth Sense broke into not even just a supporting actress race, but also picture, director, screenplay. That is huge. We have not seen this happen since Silence of the Lambs. Eight years before this, you know, we're really getting to a point. It seemed like we were getting to a point where the Academy was taking horror movies, you know, as a genre film a bit more seriously. But I want to say this might be the last time they've done this with a horror film. I can't think of since The Sixth Sense when we've had a horror movie. Get Out. Get Out did, yes. That yeah. is a really good point. Yes, which, you know, happened two decades later. You know what I mean? So and Spoiler, Get Out should have won. But uh, anyway. I mean, yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Correct. Correct, um, but I think it's interesting that we see this here. You know, we also had Haley yes. Jalosman in the supporting actor race, and that's why I would have loved to have seen Bruce Willis in here too, giving yes. nominations to the entire main cast because because yeah, the whole main cast is great in the movie. And Bruce Willis, great. this is probably I think his best performance, so, without a doubt. And this was yeah. definitely his chance to take it. You know, um, no, maybe, so yeah, I love that. Maybe Sybil Shepard started an anti-Bruce Willis campaign and sent letters to people because of the moonlighting hangover of not liking each other. Ah, uh, that could be, that could be. Yeah, <laughs> that could be. That's, that's, my, that's my speculation. It could um, be. I just think the Academy, you know, they, they at this point in time, the Academy is still a little snooty. They still have their, kind of their upturned, uh, upturned noses, where so. Bruce Willis is an action star. He is that kind of a performer we don't want to give him a nomination until he's proven himself you know is there anything you wanted to spotlight today uh yes i i did this is a movie that i kind of go a little back and forth on um but i really like the nomination that it gets um uh it gets a few nominations but i like one in particular um 
and that is none other than wait for it are you ready here it comes i can't wait to tell you um (laughs) i have no idea what i'm doing half the time when i'm speaking um uh none other than uh, my god i'm so sorry i can't remember the name of the movie (laughs) which category is it oh my god hold on hold on no okay is it the mummy no 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 i was gonna say the talented mr ripley oh my god okay i couldn't I kept hearing the cider house rules in my head. And I couldn't. <laughs> God no. God no. Um, no. 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 Um, I I would love to spotlight uh, Mr. Jude Law in the talented Mr. Ripley. I you know this is uh, a gay themed film, and when I first saw it, I I had some issues with it because I was like, it, it, there's there's several movies, you know, we talked about this with The Night Cowboy, too. There's several movies that have, like, a gay hate situation, and I hate it when you have the trope of the gay character who becomes murderous and and is a psychopath, basically, which is what happens with Matt Damon's character, spoiler, in that movie. But um, I think, you know, Jude Law, who has the job of playing the bisexual uh character who um who both Gwyneth Paltrow and Matt Damon are transfixed by um he has a tall order I think because he has to kind of um be uh, ethereal and elusive and charming um in a way that feels both approachable and unapproachable at the same time and I think I think Jude Law in general is sometimes underrated because, um, and I think that's a lot of the reasons why in the last decade you've seen him go against his natural good looks so many times and, you know, like wear bald caps for some stuff and, um, you know, just like downplay what naturally exists in his face. Um, because, uh, because I think that what he has to pull off and being this, unapproachable beauty who's also approachable and charismatic and you want to be around him is um it's just a really great feat on his part and uh i go back and forth on how i feel about the movie but there's really no um no denying that it is a competently crafted film um and i only have issues with the trope that exists in the movie and not uh the construction or execution of the film at all so, but Jude Law is is absolutely wonderful in the movie, and this is um, uh, not the first nomination uh, for a role that is queer, but um, it is it is one of the only ones that exist up to this point. So, right. Yeah, we're yeah. breaking down those walls. Even though he's straight, them. right? You know, and and Tom Hanks won a few years prior for playing a gay character. Um, I believe we had a nomination for The Crying Game. And Ian McKellen, Ian McKellen, of course, uh, last year, Um, and then if you if you go back a ways, you can make an argument that the Master of Ceremonies in Cabaret might be queer is probably queer. You know, like there's there's other characters that are a little bit more open ended in other years, but um, it's nice to see in the '90s that we've had a few characters, even if only one actor who is gay, um, get nominated for roles. Now, technically speaking, somebody won Best Actor this year who is gay, and that's something we have to tackle. (laughs) I love that you said that. You literally took the words out of my mouth. What a perfect transition 
into our main event here. Let's talk about our best picture winner, American Beauty. So let me break it down for you. This is a movie about Lester Burnham, who is played by Kevin Spacey. He is undergoing a midlife crisis. Then one night, after watching his daughter's dance performance at school, he develops an infatuation on her high school best friend. This reinvigorates his passion for life, so he quits his job, starts doing anything and everything to gain her attention. But little does he know, he only has less than one year to live. So... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's let's break it down by the numbers. We're gonna break it down by the numbers. This received eight Academy Award nominations, five wins, on a budget of fifteen million dollars. Pretty small mm-hmm. budget for a Best Picture winning film. It grossed worldwide over three hundred and fifty million dollars. Yep. Huge success. Huge, huge, huge. Um, I know you've seen this movie before, but I want to hear your letter grade. What grade do you give this movie? Oh, I give this movie an A. This is a great mm. movie. Um, I, I give this a solid, solid A. It is. Um, from top to bottom, the script is just, is so tight. Um, and, uh, the performances are great. The cinematography is great. The direction, you know, this is Sam Mindy's first film and, and you wouldn't know it cause it's just so competently crafted. Um, I mean, I, I think it is a really great film. Couldn't agree more. It is a solid A. From literally the first moment of this movie, you hear the score drop, you see the huge aerial shot of their streets, and then you hear the voiceover of Kevin Spacey. It just completely sucks you in. Um, It creates such a mood and an atmosphere that you just cannot stop watching it. It's so well done. So what to you, though, do you think is maybe the main component that for you makes this movie work. What is the main element of the film? Um, I think that the I, I, well, I think you know, having a movie that centers around a midlife crisis is um, it's not a new concept, but I think the way it tackles it is really daring and honest, and um, and it's you look back on it and it's it's a little difficult to stomach at certain moments just because of things that we know now um about people involved mm-hmm. um but uh there is a kind of harsh truth to it to the way that it approaches that you know um baby boomer midlife situation that feels very honest but i also think it does a great job of capturing the teenaged characters and their struggles and feelings in a way that also feels honest and we also get again talking about queer characters we get some gay characters in this film that are treated maybe in part because one of the producers um was gay are treated respectfully um and uh i i appreciate all of those elements and so in a lot of ways even though it's de- dealing with this like cringy situation um the fact that it's cringy is also the point and that's part of why it 
why it works, even though it is cringy. It's supposed right, to be. I think that's, yeah, it's part of its charm, right? It's really peeling right. back the, uh, this... The psychology. This, yeah, but it's, like, it's, it's, it's exposing uh, true American life, right? There's this whole, um... There's this whole, like, illusion that we create here of the white picket fence, the beautiful two-story house, we have our job, the two kids, we have dinner every night, and it really goes deeper under there and says, yes, that's what we're all projecting, but what the reality is, is we're all just tearing each other apart. And that's a really, really cool thing to kind of zero in on. For me, what makes this movie (laughs) work is, and... You know, in light of what we know about certain people, it makes me a little nauseous to say this, but to me, what makes this movie really work is Kevin Spacey. I think without his performance, this really would be unwatchable. We really need to have that Lester Burnham character, the central character, be so interesting in how uninteresting he actually is. And that is so hard to pull off. He is just an everyday guy who's punched the time clock time in and time out. He's never made a mistake. He's never hurt anybody or given anybody reason to, you know, at his job fire him or his wife divorce him. His kids really hate him. He has just coasted along his whole life in the most boring way possible. So we need to we need to be sucked into that. And it's it's all in his delivery. There's such a dry sarcasm and wit in first of all in the way he's written, but in the way Kevin Spacey portrays that that i think really glues this movie together yeah it's 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 tough you know the thing that that i say about art that already exists you know we talked a little bit about this when we covered annie hall um you can't change anything that has already happened um we can't go back in time and scrub problematic people from movies that already exist. Um, So when you look at something retroactively, you kind of have to, you have to decide whether or not you are capable of separating art from person. And some people can, and some people can't. And that's perfectly on, that is whatever, whatever is, however you need to handle that is totally, totally on you. Um, And that's okay. Um, what I think is an interesting conversation, though, um, because you're talking about, like, this movie wouldn't work without Kevin Spacey. Like, if not Kevin Spacey, who could have done this? That Um, is a really good question, yeah. And, you know, I thought uh, the first name that came to my mind when I posed this question to myself Mm -hmm. um, is, and I thought specifically about, um the 90s version of the movie of the the book uh lolita um and that made me think of jeremy irons as being a potential Mm, that is actually Um, the interesting choice yes i mean like i'll tell you who would have been perfect but was dead (laughs) is um james mason but Mm, um mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah but um because james mason even looks like Kevin Spacey, honestly. Yeah, he does. Yes, he but, does. Um, and he has that same... And he was in the original Lolita as well, and he does such a great job. And the, the characters, even though the character in Lolita is f- a much worse person and a very smarmy individual and actually follows through with um, 
the uh, statutory rape. The um, deed. The deed, uh, <laughs> repeatedly and often, and mm-hmm. is just a horrific pedophile. Um, I think that Jeremy Irons would have been an interesting that is an interesting choice. I do like that because there's something so likable about Jeremy Irons. He could kind of convince you that it's okay for him to murder you. You know what I mean? There's like the way he delivers lines. It's like if you were like, Sam, I'm going to eat you for breakfast. I'd be like, okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> Let's do it. Also, another Kevin, Kevin Klein might have been able to do this too. Kevin Klein's a good idea. The first one that came yeah. to my mind was Tom Hanks, but I think he might be too much of like a charming, everyday kind of guy. I don't. Yeah, there needs to be like a defeated aspect to you, kind of like a pathetic quality to who you are. <laughs> so I want to get into a little bit more about like the themes of this movie. There's so many different interpretations of American beauty. So I'm curious, after watching this movie, maybe even, you know, it's changed probably throughout the years, but what really does this movie mean to you? What do you get out of it? Um, It's like a... I was going to say coming of age. Um, that's obviously... Uh, it, it's a coming of a later age mm-hmm. story. Um, and obviously he doesn't get to live out the next chapter. Um, but every character in the story is is crossing a boundary into a new frontier, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, we haven't talked about Annette Benning like at all, but at she's all. absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. And it is a travesty. She doesn't have an Oscar yet. Um, <laughs> True. Although, you know, interestingly, this year was the year that her husband, Warren Beatty, got his honorary Oscar. But, um, you know, she, through the affair that she has in the film, um, and the the way that she's wrapped up in her her career and her you know her her the way she's wrapped up in her life in a way that i think represents so many couples who are almost ignoring their marriage by investing into these other things that that make them feel like their life is more fulfilled than it is i i think that she's crossing to the point that she admits that almost um and obviously she almost breaks and isn't the one who ends up breaking it. But clearly that thought is in her, <laughs> in her consciousness. Um, I, I think that the characters who are younger, you know, that's the more, that's another clear coming of age arc. You know, you're, you're coming to terms with the, incredible uncomfortable hormonal experience that is being a teenager and not knowing what you want and wanting to be this put together adult and thought of as something special um and different and not always succeeding like i think every single character in this movie in their own way is coming of age Mm. that's good you're right well it's kind of like two separate coming of ages right we come of age through our teens into adulthood, and then we come of age in our midlife to the later stages of the year. So it's kind of like, what I'm kind of hearing from you is like revelations, right? All these characters undergo a series of revelations that completely Mm -hmm. change them from beginning to end, which is just good character work and good storytelling. But it's very unique in this movie, what they're discovering about themselves. And that kind of ties into what I kind of get out of the movie, 
which sort of just goes hand in hand with the title. I think this movie is just trying to tell everybody there's beauty everywhere. And it's not always in like the places we expect it to be. But sometimes you got to look a little deeper. You got to look underneath, you know, and that's actually what the, the tagline of the film is suggesting. Um, you have to look closer at the world to find the beauty. We, we normally think of beauty as the superficial thing, right? A flower, a face, muscle, tone, a pretty girl in a dance uniform, you know? However, real beauty is something you can't actually see at first. You have to dig underneath it to get to it. And I think those are the revelations that's you're talking about. That's interesting, because we hadn't even really gotten down to breaking down what the title might meant, and I think you mm-hmm. just gave uh, a really excellent answer to that question. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Are you... <laughs> do you, like, study movies? <laughs> Professionally? <laughs> do you have, like, an extra degree in in something to do with the media? Um... <laughs> No, that's, okay. uh, I, you know, cause I, I just, I don't think I had actually really broken down in my thoughts why the title American Beauty and that, that's an interesting way in putting it. It's why it's so important that this takes place in, you know, quote unquote, normal everyday American suburbia, you know? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Now, as a final question for, this is really something really interesting I found out when I was reading and researching this movie is in the original draft of the scripts, Lester and Angela, who is the young girl that he becomes obsessed with, they actually do have sex in the end. And it wasn't until the president of DreamWorks told him that in Greek mythology that the hero... Who, who, okay, so he told uh, the writer, Alan Ball, that in Greek mythology, there, uh, the hero has to have a moment of epiphany right before the tragedy occurs. So that's how uh, that convinced Ball to rewrite the script so that Lester does have this redemption in the end where he chooses not to sleep with Angela after finding out that she is a virgin. So I want to ask you, do you think Lester is redeemed in the end of this movie? Huh. <laughs> it's um, a tricky question, right? It's hard. I think it's even harder in light of the last few years and, and the better understanding that I think we have of, of sexual misconduct. Because I don't... I don't know if I entirely view the character as sympathetic even um because i i think that you know he is he's for all intents and purposes obsessed with and almost has sex with somebody who is presumably 17 16 years old um do they ever explicitly state how old she is not that that would matter because she is in high school correct in my head i kind of thought they were all seniors so maybe like 17 18 but it doesn't actually say we're not really sure even if she's 18 she's regardless she's in high school school. (laughs) um and uh so to me i i don't I don't know if even if he has his moment of epiphany, I would even call him a, a hero or a sympathetic character. I think he's just a a man that unfortunately represents the feelings of many men. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's more about... Um, his exploration is more about the negative effects that sexual repression has had in our society. True. True, because that's a really good point. Because I, I think that a lot of these... I think a lot of sexual shame pushes these unhealthy, um, predatory 
um, behaviors. And it's very, very meta, if you look at it from that direction, who plays this part. Yes, absolutely. And I agree with you. I don't think... (laughs) I think the moment we see the rose petals fall and he has that first vision of Angela naked with the flowers around her, I think that is where we cross the territory of, oh, this boy is off the deep end. He's not coming back. Even in the end when he finds out she's a virgin and chooses not to have sex with her, that's not enough to redeem all the actions he's taken before this. Yeah, let's look at what you just said, actually, too. Let's unpack that. Oh, Mm -hmm. you're not a virgin? Then I won't violate you. That's the only thing stopping That's the only thing stopping you. I just don't want to be your first. If you were a slut, then I'd totally have sex with you. Exactly. That's how that reads. It's this image that he was creating in his head of her. He put that on her, you know, saying, oh, well, she is very flirty. She's very attractive. So she must be very experienced. And she, of course, has a lot of lying that she does in the movie where she makes people believe and think that she is more sexually experienced mm-hmm. than she is. But that's also just a teenager thing. Kids do that. You know what I yeah. mean? You can't put that on the teenager who doesn't know better. And that is what the movie shows us at the end. The movie shows us that she is a teenager. And we a teenager. Should, and in a way, and it scared, almost turns and the mirror. And she's scared. It almost turns the mirror around on the audience and says, you've been sexualizing this underage girl this whole movie. True. And you should be ashamed of yourself. And that's why I think we have to kill Lester in the end. I don't think he deserves to live. <laughs> I don't think he's actually... I mean, you, you mentioned that he's, he's like a quote-unquote good guy. He's a good guy in terms of what society would deem someone to be a good guy from his outward appearances. On the but surface. again, this movie is about getting beneath the surface. Correct. And what a good guy and a good family look like and what's actually going on underneath. And mm-hmm. honestly, you know, the adults in this movie are not the most likable people from top to bottom no well it also shows too how like you know kids and children uh, have all these behaviors passed on to them from their parents their parents don't know the damage they're causing you know but even thora birch who plays their daughter says in the movie point blank my parents have fucked me up you know kids are very aware of that they know that uh it's sometimes the parents who are less aware of the damage they're causing to their kids <sighs> You know, that's just the cycle of abuse, and I think this movie taps into that, too. This movie really taps into a lot. It talks about a lot. It throws a lot out there. Which is why it works, because I think everything still sticks, and that's the genius behind it. I really think so. Yeah, this is is a really strong... This is a really strong winner in a really strong year, and I I, I would also say there are, you know... um, uh, The the Insider and and, um, The Sixth Sense are also both really strong movies in in this race this is a very stacked year but american beauty holds up as a winner so american beauty is your best picture winner of 1999 i mean i can't betray our friend dan and not <laughs> and take away his take away his moment so <laughs> we cannot um, i will i will let american beauty stand i love that yes american beauty will be my best picture winner as well closely followed 
by the sixth sense. <laughs> very closely. Very closely. Very, very closely. I'm very happy with the American Beauty win for Best Picture. Okay, let's get into next year. We are officially, as you mentioned, in the new millennium. Uh, for the movies in 2000, we are going to be talking about Gladiator in next week's mm. episode. Mm-hmm. Big winner for Gladiator. Have you seen this movie? Uh, it's been a very... I, I don't even really remember it, honestly. It was I was quite young. Mm-hmm. So it, it's been a long time. So this will almost be like it's the first time, I think. Wonderful. This will be a good one to talk about. Um, I'm looking forward to it. So join us next yeah. week, folks. We'll talk about Gladiator and the 2000 Academy Awards. Ooh.